So we have probably established by now that uh, me and Darren have uh, quite a habit of doing long intros uh, before some of our interviews. Um, today is not going to be one of those long intros and um, we're just going to get straight into it because today's guest is the fantastic Nuala Kennedy. She's a singer, she's a whistle player, she's a flute player, um, she's a pianist it turns out and she also spent a lot of time living in Edinburgh. So we had a lot to talk about because I also lived in Edinburgh for quite a few years and um, I have just very fond memories of the place and wandering the streets in various states of inebriation. Um, so uh, in untypically prompt fashion, we're just going to get straight into it. So here is Nilly Kennedy. Hello. <laughs> ah, that was beautiful. Um, so, so what was that again? That was a reel called Kitty Gone a Milking, uh, a well-known reel. And I thought I would just play a little blast of that on the whistle. It's the first reel I learned. Um, I learned it from Mary Grinnell, who was my whistle teacher when I was very young, around seven, eight, nine years of age. And then there was a kind of like a a new interpretation of the same tune that was composed by or manipulated by Cattle McConnell, um, my uh, one of my musical mentors mm-hmm. in life. And um, so I thought that kind of brings together, you know, my my first teacher and one of my current um, my current kind of inspirers in Irish music. Well, thank you for playing those. Welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. I should have said that to start start with. Um, (laughs) It's great to be here. Great to be here. um, uh, So tell me a bit about Mary. Uh, Was it Mary Grinnell? Yeah, Mary Grinnell Mm. from Dundalk. And um, she was, well, she's a lovely person and a lovely whistle player. Mm. And um, to that I recall, I think there was kind of like a, basically a big um, music class in the 
the AOH Hall, the, the Ancient Order of Hibernian Hall uh, in Dundalk. Yeah. When I was um when I was a kid and I think it was just, you know, somewhere to drop off your child and they might have a chance at music. Um it was something like fifty P for an hour and I remember there being lots of, of other children there and people running around and Mary would be there as well trying to teach a few tunes but if she thought that you you were interested then she would invite you for one-to-one lessons and luckily um, I had a chance at a a few lessons with Mary at the back of uh, her father's place it was a cobbler's at the end of town in Dundalk so you know that was very exciting getting to go underneath the bench the shop front and into the back room and in there learn a few tunes nice and cozy and uh, very enjoyable so wow. it got me started brilliant so so this is this is in dundalk and um you know when we spoke on the phone a couple of months ago i took some notes and i was looking at them the other day and i'd scribbled down <laughs> i'd scribbled down in quotation marks dundalk is a place you must avoid isn't so, that shocking? So, 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 what was Dundalk like when you were growing up? So, and and when would that have been? You know, um, growing up in the the eighties in Dundalk, yeah. and um, it it that that quote actually that line came from a um, a tourism book on Ireland that I came across in somebody's house in the states, maybe five or. 10 years ago it's all a blur now but um the i you know the way you would look up your hometown <laughs> yeah of course what, yeah what they say about it and <laughs> that that was the first line i mean it just had that kind of reputation it was a border town and you know the troubles were were kind of coming i mean they were still going on at that time i suppose yep. um and you know it was rough around the edges in dundalk town center then but um, it's a beautiful, of course, setting with the Cooley Mountains and Carlingford and yeah. beautiful areas all around. And, and now it's um, it's a great town. It's really come on a lot the last the last while. Um, and I really enjoyed growing up there, I must say. Mm-hmm. Good friends. How aware were you being just on that side of the border of what was going on in the north? I mean, I wasn't... M- my parents are actually from Belfast, the both, um, and all my family, you know, all my extended family are up there. So we would be up almost every weekend in Belfast. Um, and I don't, you know, yeah, as a, as a kid, you kind of just take, you know, everything at face value. You just get on with your life and all this stuff is happening around you. Um, but you still have your, your child, childlike life I mean my parents didn't um speak about politics much in the house they weren't um I suppose they they didn't yeah it was it wasn't a big topic in our house when we were when we were growing up but at the same time like I do have I remember one of my earliest memories in Dundalk was um being at the funeral of I think it was Bobby Sands passing somebody was passing that would you know there was a lot of black flags was one of the hunger strikers uh-huh. and I I remember like being up on my dad's shoulder and seeing all the all the the black flags and kind of it made a big impression on me you know I mean going to see my my cousins in Belfast and seeing all the army all around and the 
you know, the helicopters and the... I mean, of course, it made a big impression, but at the same time, you're busy with your 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 art and your music and your your friends and, you know, mm-hmm. that was just the way it was. I'm sure you can probably relate to that yourself, too. Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting, like, because I... In some ways, I became more aware of the strangeness of it once I'd left, right? Because it's just when when you're growing up in it, it just is what it is, right? Um, yeah. And and over time, as it has receded into the distance, historically, I, um, I look back at documentaries of that time, and I and I'm really kind of awestruck by how desperate it looks, and um and and actually talking to other people who are the same age as me 52 53 who grew up around that time they've they've had similar experiences of only just now sort of realizing that even being on the fringes of that really disordered uh society where you know there's real uh civic strife that that it it really shapes you in ways that you don't really realize until much later I guess. You know what I mean? I, Yeah, I do know what you mean. I mean, I remember feeling a great sense of freedom when I went to Edinburgh to study. I was 18 and um, I just felt like, you know, it was... Uh, I was spent a year in Belfast. I was at art college when I was 17 for a year. So then I was older and um, still there was um, just elements of, of all that strife that you would experience and um I love Belfast I love the city and I I have my closest friends are still from that time um I met them in at the art college and we still are on the phone regularly so you know I think um I did just get a great kind of I don't know I just felt like a new lease of life when I went somewhere where I didn't have to think about you know all those kind of dynamics mm-hmm. and um and it also gave me a new interest in the music you know I'd grown up with with playing music but um getting to Edinburgh and seeing what was happening there and um, getting involved in the music f- from that perspective um yeah it just inspired me so so what were you hearing growing up at home were your mum and dad playing or um, my mum and dad they don't play um traditional music or or any kind of music but they they are musical and they love they appreciate music so they would have had a, a fairly extensive record collection and it was all the kind of great hits of the 70s you know like Jimi Hendrix and um Carole King and James mm-hmm. Taylor I remember that album Over the Hill um that Scottish songwriter, um, John Martin. John Martin, I I kind of wore that out. I mm. loved that. Um, I love John and, Martin. Oh, <laughs> Even just now. so beautiful, so so nice. Um, so that's kind of I was I was listening to stuff. They did have like a Planksty record and um, the odd bit of of trad in mixed in there, um, but that's kind of what I I. I was listening to when I was growing up. I was playing traditional music um, regularly, but I wasn't listening to mm-hmm. it that much, really. Um, and and playing just th- through the lessons and 
Yeah, and through Kaylee Band. I, I've, I started with Mary. I also started, I, I, I was pretty seriously into classical piano, played for a, a long time um, at the same time as doing all the trad. And um, I ended up going to study for a year with John O'Connor in Dublin um, before my leaving cert sometime. I don't know when, I was 15 or 16 or something. And I was I was always practicing, practicing that. At home. In fact, when I started in the Cayley band, I was playing piano um, mainly. And before I got the flute. Um, was that but I just kind of, sorry, go on. No, no, you go on ahead, yeah. I don't know. I, I was trying to think about this. Um, I thought you might ask me about this. I, I don't have a great memory um, in general. I think I just inherited some kind of forgetful gene from my mother. But um, I remember the first time I heard Shan Nose singing. Um, I was in my Irish class in secondary school. We had a great teacher, Mrs O'Neill, and she, we were studying, as many people do, um, Time Shem Colla, the the lovely Sean Nose song. And yeah. um she played us a recording of some it was a man singing it. And I remember kind of even you know the, the teenage you know, the teenage kind of rebellion against oh here's the teachers playing us, she's making us listen to something, oh no, you know. And but even despite that, like I I heard something really struck a chord with me when I heard that that song i i was so like just i just thought the melody was was amazing and it, it cut through you know everything including my the layers of teenage angst and everything <laughs> just um really i don't know i just was drawn so i was actually thinking i'm maybe i'll attempt to sing you a verse of that i i never forgot the first verse i used to to know this you know all those years ago, I'll give it a, a whirl. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Shayar kislam hevan sper van vashul veil. Toim shem chola snadushter me. Bahavak lak per lak dream rock barakos. A karn Layer of all agree. She a kai have no side dream have dog yalled me. Time shem kola snadushter me. Well. I just, uh, yeah, I love that. I love that melody so much. It's, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a beauty. Does it? It sounds like it still catches you. Oh yeah, like I, I. It's just one of those 
tunes just been there since I heard it, kind of going along in the background. So I, I'm familiar with that melody, but I, as regular listeners will know, I, I don't have any Irish. So um, what's that about? It's um, one of the famous Ashling songs. The Ashling is the Gaelga for a dream where where a woman appears in in a dream and um, and she represents Ireland and um, these poems were they were often written when you know people couldn't discuss politics in public and they mm-hmm. had to have more um, coded language. So um, they would use metaphors like that. So the, that's one of those, the Ashling. That's that's really gorgeous. Thank you. Um, uh, what was the the scene like in Dundalk? You know, if you're a teenager and you're starting to play out a bit, what was the standard of music like? Traditional music. Oh, it was very high. Like when. When I think about being a teenager and um, playing music, I didn't really play out that much because I, right. I was, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, I wouldn't say I was like a, a, I was just kind of playing in the Cayley band and, you know, I had my, my few tunes and I got a little start with Mary, but I mean, I only had a few lessons with her. I had one lesson with um, Peg McGrath, who was, a very mm. influential flute player. Mm-hmm. She got me me started on the flute when I was twelve or thirteen, but then she passed away tragically in a um, an accident in Dundalk. And um, so after that, I was just playing in the Cayley band and listening to other flute players that were in the band with me. Patrick Conway was in that band, a fantastic player, and uh, so that's how I learned. I just had to kind of teach myself and get on get on with it so I wouldn't say I wasn't like ready for sessions at uh-huh. that point you know uh-huh. um, and I remember the, the session standard being fairly high and and not feeling like you could sort of rattle away you know with your few tunes it just seemed a bit intimidating to me anyway um, so and I just kind of played away in the house was your classical music then taking up a good chunk of your musical brain space yeah it was it was taking up a lot of practice time and um i play, i played the guitar and i loved all those kind of songs like those kind of 70s sort of folk ballads i would spend ages listening to records and like just going over and over trying to figure out how to do stuff mm-hmm. um so and then i was i was busy at the art I was always drawing and making stuff and um very into that in fact I always thought that that's what I would do and that's what I went to study at uni was uh I ended up doing ceramics and glass and mm-hmm. was big into drawing so it, it kind of um, all these things were sort of going on um at the same time but I but the the piano definitely took a lot of commitment a lot of time mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it, but I loved the Kaylee. The Kaylee band really was the crack, you know. That was that was <laughs> like, you know, it was great. <laughs> um, where, where were you playing, uh, with the Kaylee band? Just 
we'd have our like weekly practices down at the CBS um, school in Dundalk and um, we went to, we'd, we'd make some very exciting trips. We went up to Donegal to the Arachtis. Um We won a Gradham in a, um, a Sloga. Oh yeah, Sloga. Because we, we were under 21 because even though myself and um, some of the other players, we were we were only 13, 12 or 13. But um, there was players in that band like Tiernan O'Dwinkin, the, the fantastic piper, um, Lisa Conway, Patrick Conway, Rona Dinkin, Tiernan's sister. They were they were older. They were like 18, 19. So we'd be classified in an older category. And um, it was just great. I mean, it was I just used to listen to them playing and think, wow, you know, that's. It, that was really the big inspiration for for the music for me was was listening to and playing with them and mm. kind of being carried along by them. You know? <laughs> it was great. Brendan Gochran ran ran that Cayley band. Um, he was a a real big music person in Dundalk back in in those days. And did 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 then um, did moving to Belfast seem like? Um like a big step out into the world or did you feel pretty comfortable with with moving there? Oh, yeah, I loved moving there. You know, I was used to the city and um, it was very exciting going to going to art college and meeting people there and, you know, really seriously into the art then. I almost, I remember going to a couple of sessions that Tiernan was playing at, but I didn't play myself and I didn't... Um, I don't think I even took my flute with me. I, I just was full on committed to visual art yeah. and um, doing that side of things. So by the time I got to, I, I transferred in second year, I went to Edinburgh College of Art. And um, at that stage, I wasn't playing at all. I, I didn't have any instrument with me. I was still listening to a lot of music and enjoying it. But I I remember getting there and um at a certain point, I I came across a session and, um, you know, it was classic. I, I, you know, had a few drinks. I was out with my, my art school friends and there was a session and I was like, oh, look, a session. I used to do that, you know. And then I went over and I remember this. There was a, a, a beautiful piper there, Harry Lawson, and he had a tin whistle sitting on the table. And, you know, I was hanging around and they were like, oh, do you play? I was like, oh, I play a bit of bit of whistle and I borrowed his whistle and played a few tunes and they were all very encouraging they said oh you come back next week and sit in with us and play some tunes and and um and I did and that that then changed changed everything after that <laughs> so so I'm going to ask you a bit more about uh, about Scotland in a minute but would, would you mind um playing a couple of tunes for us and not not at all <laughs> um let's see Scotland, maybe with Scotland on the radar, I might um might play a I'll play a a Scottish um retreat march that I I loved um as soon as I heard it um and uh, it's called the King's House. There we go. Thank you. 
the king's house. You mentioned earlier that you had a sort of sense of freedom when you went to Scotland. What what do you think that was? What do you think that was about? What what was freeing for you about it? Um, well, apart from just not having to worry about where I went with a name like Nula and an accent from Dundalk. <laughs> um, I mean, musically, it was it was very inspiring because um, you know. It just seemed like the, there wasn't the the sort of uh, intensity of judgment that I would have kind of felt, whether whether it was coming from me or or whatever. When I was growing up, it just seemed like you know liberating to go out to these sessions and have all the crack. I mean, the crack was ninety. You know, I just. Mm-hmm. Um, hadn't experienced that before because I wasn't like a you know I wasn't in a musical family I wasn't going to you know things like Willie Clancy or any of these things that everybody talks about with great fondness and um my my sort of um experience of that was in Edinburgh and um just having having great times and learning loads of music and making things you know during the day making and then playing music all night it was just and and just being kind of obsessed with the you know I I used to take out tapes and CDs from Edinburgh Library and and learn literally you know every tune on them and then bring them back and get some more and learn the I -hmm. mean it just and I think a lot of music that I'd learned as a kid at that same time came back to me with with all of the so it was kind of like this snowball effect of of music and I, I just um I loved it so much. I mean I remember missing Ireland. I remember listening, you know, the classic like Christy Moore and thinking, oh, you know, I miss my home and but I but I really loved the city and um the kind of yeah, just the you know, you're you're full of beans and you're eighteen and you're just dying to get into everything and it was just uh, yeah it was great great um and great musicians like really inspiring really really kind of like talented musicians who were all um you know from from the older crew that would play in irish sessions um see at that time in edinburgh it was kind of it was divided to like the the irish sessions were mainly and populated by older male musicians right you know who like were very very welcoming to me and and um encouraging and um but then you know i i got i started discovering oh wow there's this whole scottish scene scottish sessions and all the people playing and those were my age and that started you know i was like oh gotta learn some scottish tunes gotta Mm -hmm. gotta get playing with these these folks and um yeah it was it was great great time where were the sessions in Edinburgh? I mean, I, I wonder. You were probably knocking around Edinburgh around the same time as me. I mean, I lived there for a good few years. Yeah. And loved, loved it. You know, um, but it's it's it just freaks me out to think that I could have I could have been in Sandy Bells and probably saw you in there at some point and never even realized. I know. That. We probably funny? were. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like, and you probably like. I remember Hamish Henderson sitting in the corner there listening to the session mm-hmm. and like people that just, you know, just legends of music being around. And 
and great players like John Martin, the fiddle player, and Kevin McLeod. And Sandy Bells would would have been a main port of call for me. Um, all I ever wanted was just to play in the session in Sandy Bells and and to be able to you know kind of hold my own in there and that was uh, it was great. But then there was also the Green Tree. I don't know if you remember that um, down kind of in the Cogate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's gone now, but there used to be. That was also kind of like a mixed. So it was kind of Irish and Scottish, and the Irish dancers used to come in there sometimes dance a set. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. I love playing for dancing and. What, um, like aside yeah. from the the sense of freedom, what um what changed for you though? It sounds like quite a. I mean, I know it was a gradual process, but it sounds also quite um radical in a way what happened to you right yeah I suppose I just got I mean I just got bitten by the bug really like I <laughs> I I was still I mean I would go into the art college I, that I had you know that was like 24 hour access then to the ceramics department so you could be in there early in the morning and working away making stuff and and then like come round to Sandy Bells with all your old art gear on and you're like having a pint and people are playing tunes and then after that, there'd be a session somewhere else and we'd go to late night bars and play more tunes. We just couldn't get enough of the. And I think that, well, it, maybe it was the community. I think that something that's really kept me in the music and, and is, is really the community that surrounds it. It's um, something that's really been a, a big part of my life. And um, yeah, I... I I think I must have just, I remember like I loved hearing the pipes when Harry was playing the pipes. I always enjoyed them, you know, whenever I got to hear them. But I, I kind of got really big into piping. I mean, listening to it and um, Leah Rosam learning all his all the tunes on there and just kind of. Um, yeah, I was just, uh, yeah, obsessively doing doing music and making art. And, and how was it, how know? was how was your art? progressing what were you doing what were you making I was making I ended up after about a year or so I started making sculptural ceramics I was making that kind of um yeah like conceptual sculptural non-functional large scale ceramic pieces mm-hmm. um and I was just trying I was doing kind of like putting stuff like putting the glazes on the inside of a piece and firing it and cutting it open and you know polishing it up like a like a like a fossil stone or like a like a lovely rock that you would find and and just um drawing a lot I was always into the drawing always had a notebook um but I think at, at a certain point somebody asked me to go to do a gig with them it was a loosely loose formation of Def Shepherd and they needed, you know, somebody couldn't make it that was playing the flute and they asked me Def to go. Shepherd? Yeah. With, um... <laughs> Do you ever hear that? Rory... Yeah. And Marianne, um... Uh, Campbell. Rory Campbell, yeah. I used to play with them. <laughs> <laughs> small uh, world. It's I know, world. I know. We played a couple of gigs with them, um, but they were on a on a whole other tra- trajectory my trajectory was heading down the way while theirs was heading up that's <laughs> hilarious yeah they were they were great and like Claire McLaughlin I think 
put this this other it was kind of like a uh, maybe they had got the gig and people couldn't do it and they still wanted to do it so anyway I ended up um, going over there and it was the first time I got paid for for playing music and you know really liked that that was that was really good <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a that's a big moment really isn't it yeah yeah it was uh, it was brilliant and um really enjoyed it you know kind of um and was was there yeah was there a point at which you you thought this might be my my natural habitat for expression if you know what i mean or medium for expression i guess yeah i mean there was a point i i like because after so i went you know did did art college and then i did a postgrad in teaching and then i started teaching primary school um but all the while still doing the music and working on the music and you know doing gigs by that stage i was i was gigging around the place and mm-hmm. playing in some scottish Cayley bands um as a kind of supplementary income um but i was getting bigger busier bigger I was, I was getting busier and busier with the music um and eventually after two years of teaching i thought I'll just um, give this a go for a while and see see how it goes. So that was two thousand and one or something. Uh-huh. Um, and that's that was probably the moment when I thought, yeah, yeah, give it a chance, you know, and see what happens. Um, did you did you ever uh, run into Luke Plum? Oh yeah, anywhere? oh yeah, Luke Plum. We we shared an apartment and in edinburgh <laughs> for a while um yeah great guy he helped, he helped my dad uh, yeah him and his friend mike um lovely guy mike we he was called mike one shirt because he had one shirt <laughs> that he would wear to like a fancy butler job he had uh-huh. he'd, he'd wash it every night but th- those guys are fantastic they helped my dad and me sand the floors in the apartment uh-huh. yeah brilliant yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, Luke's fantastic. I mean, he, he he was a great addition to the the scene in Edinburgh. A lovely guy, and yeah, yeah. So so, um, Ed, Edinburgh. When I when I think of it now, so when I was there, I was I was working at the BBC, and um, at that time it was the sort of tail end of it was down on Queen Street, and it was sort of the tail end of this period where the BBC was still had a few stragglers from the from the time when it was an organization that was full of incredibly intelligent people who were all quite strange (laughs) (laughs) and and really enjoyed a drink so it was a very Mm -hmm. it was you know there was a lot of um afternoons spent in the abbotsford bar and places like that oh yeah so i just got such a so many very fond memories of probably a similar period in my life of just having a certain amount of freedom but also having a bit of money because of because I was working and yeah just scooting about kind of doing what you want really it's a great city for that it is it is yeah um so so um one other thing I wanted to ask you about that was then you're obviously not very far away from Ireland at this point were you were you heading back and forth a lot to oh yeah yeah 
I, I would have been back a lot and on the ferry, of course, because it was too expensive to fly then. Yeah. Would um, that be so Larn Stranar? Yeah. 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 Larn or uh, Karen Ryan or Troon or whatever it was at the time over to, to do you remember they had the, the Stenline catamaran from Belfast for a while? That was mm-hmm. great. Did, yeah. I, my, I think I'm a, probably a, um, a bit before you. So um, my memories are quite often of, of coming home at Christmas and, and being on a ferry that's just packed with very drunk people. Um, yeah, like a really, been there. really rough crossing. The smoke, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face for the smoke and the and the yeah. So it's a very um, particular bygone era. <laughs> That's right, and everybody's smoking, of course, in all the bars and all the sessions all the time, and just um, yeah. I, yeah, I remember my mum would always my mum would always make me leave all my clothes downstairs when I got home. She should never <laughs> let me take. She'd never let me wear them upstairs. I always had to go upstairs with my underpants. <laughs> so because of, of the smoke, you know. She'd say, "Put those down yeah, by the washer." Yeah, because of the smell. Uh, That's great, <laughs> <Good> woman. <laughs> um, so did you ever? Did you ever bump into? Like, who were the other people who were playing with in Edinburgh? Yeah, before I, before I ask you for another tune. Um, oh, um, well. There was always people, you know, um, there was always people passing through in the sessions, too. And like the, I remember, um, yeah, some great sessions where there'd be people from, you know, Riverdance or whoever was in town. And the place would just be, I mean, literally just hopping. It was so exciting just to be playing the, you know, Aaron Jones and Claire Mann and Leo McCann and um, Anna Wendy Stevenson and Chris Drever and just mm-hmm. like loads of there was there was it was it would take me a long time to and I'm sure I'm I'm missing out folks that I um I I loved playing with there was um of course Cahill McConnell yeah I was gonna say um, you mentioned Cahill of course he lived in Edinburgh didn't he he still does and um I met him when I was at art college um I actually wrote a a thesis on relating to music when I was at art college and um I interviewed Cahill as part of that um at my my flat, which is was just above, it was very dangerously located, right on top of Sandy Bell's. Um, you were literally above the pub. Yeah, yeah literally. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and um, but Cahill, you know, he was a. We became very good friends very quickly, and um, he used to always be calling me up, and he still does. Like he call me and say, you know. I've been working like that tune I started with the his version of Kitty Gone a Milking uh-huh. is one that um, he's been working on recently. So even though, you know, he's been playing music for whatever, 60, 50 or 60 years, he's still interacting with it um, in that way. It's a very, very creative, um, deeply sort of interactive way of of, of getting on with the music and and. Um, that is a huge inspiration to me. Um, and probably, uh, at, I'd say just before that, when I first met Cahill, I remember being out one night and calling into Edinburgh Folk Club and standing at the back, you know, up um, at the bar and, and hearing somebody singing this song 
um, and it was Cahill, and he was singing The Flower of Maharali. And that was, for the second time in my life, like that was probably the, the most, the song that had the most impact on me after the time Shem Chola. It just kind of, it had like, to me, to my ears, it had Shan Nos elements, but the words were in English. Um, he was singing it. In fact, I might just, um, I might just sing that for you. Um, he, he sang this, this version of it at that time. He since has adapted and changed the melody. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll sing that. That, w- that would be lovely. Okay, hang on. I'm just going to have a little drink of my cup on tea here. <laughs> One pleasant summer's morning when the flowers were all a springin' oh nature was adorning and the wee birds all were singing oh I met my girl near Bambridge Town, my charming blue-eyed Sally O. She's the queen of the county down, my flower of Maharali, With admiration I did gaze, all on this fair-haired maiden, oh. Adam was not half so much pleased when he saw even Eden, her skin was like the lily white that grows in yonder valley. She's the queen of my heart's delight, my flower of Maharali. Her bonnet with two ribbons strung, her scarlet cap and feather roll, her golden hair in ringlets clung, her boots of Spanish leather roll. Like Venus bright, she did appear, my charming blue-eyed Sally O. And she's the girl that I hold dear. My flower of Maharali, oh. I hope the day will surely come when we join hands together, oh. And I will wed the girl I love in spite of stormy weather, and let them all say what they will. I am let them storm a rally. For I will wed the girl I love. My flower of Maharali. Are you asleep yet? I'm not. 
Yeah, that's amazing. How would you describe that version of the melody, like between what you heard cattle singing and what you're singing? Have you worked on that yourself to to sort of make it your own? How do you how do you do that even? Um, I don't like. I think you just kind of let me think about that. When you when you're working on music, I mean, what what I try to do is um, usually find different versions of the the song and then you know put together lyrically and melodically like from the different versions something that you you know that that resonates with you as a as a as a singer and um I would do that if I'm going to record a song with a song like that Maharali um I just loved that song and I pretty much sing it how I remember Cahill singing it. Like, I'm sure that he probably had differences at that time. And I know that he definitely does now. Like now he doesn't sing it. He don't, I don't think he sings the same melody anymore. Um, I think he's he's changed mm. his his version. Um, but that's, that's in my memory, that's what I felt like he was singing that's that's what i recall it would kind of flowed like that in that wandering um shan nosi style and then i just love the kind of i love how there's almost like the full stop at the end of each line with the oh and it kind of just i don't know i love i love the song um but i think that it's it's interesting to think about um you know, working within traditional um, traditional music, and you know where the the kind of boundaries and the lines are of like what that it's a traditional song, but you maybe have your own ideas about how you can yeah. best express what what you want to say with with the song or the tune, um, what it is that that resonates with you that you want to to put out there in the world and. Um, and it's something that really fascinates me. I, I love that. And it's something I, I, I have in common with Cahill. You know, we would spend, I remember one day, like I'm not joking about this now, we spent literally hours playing two bars of the air Anna Cohen and try, experimenting with different phrases and putting different harmonies to it and and playing it again and again. And, and it was the first time I'd met somebody who had that kind of obsessive mind who, who didn't think that it was overkill to do that or who, who was all in to spend like a couple of hours just playing a few bars and, and sitting with, with the air and not being, you know, in a rush to move on to something else. Um, I mean... I know we drove some other people mad in the apartment that had to listen to it, but it was, it was a great time for us, you know, just to, just to, to be connecting like that and and thinking about the music and, um, yeah, he's he's a great inspiration to me from for the songs and and for the tunes. And I, I, it's it's really fascinating to me what happens when you when you do that to a tune or either to a melody or. Um, to an actual song yeah 
you know what space what space opens up that that you wouldn't otherwise that you wouldn't otherwise discover yeah you know what i yeah. mean and i think that's the that's the kind of it's like the to me that's where the art is in in traditional music and it's where the the creativity um it lies is is in that space of of exploration and expression personal expression within within the tradition you know i that's one of the the things that i've come to appreciate like more and more as i've got older is is the great amazing um scope of irish music and um the traditional music you know scottish music and to encompass all of these things you know they they give people a vehicle for community they give people a vehicle for you know learning and 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 um imitating and enjoying the the technical side and they also give other people you know room for self-expression um and a kind of a structure within which to to create and and i think like having that having those boundaries is is just great having a having a structure that that is set up already can really just allow people to um to experiment and and try out different ideas and still still have this um you know accepted form in which they can they can put their own stamp so when you were um starting to gig and you've given up the teaching um uh, what happens that to sort of propel you forward to the next sort of step you know i mean how because you were as I, as I seem to remember from my from my notes as well you were um playing a regular gig in sandy bells yeah i was pl- eventually i i i achieved my goal and i got to play that like to host the session um it was very and i remember feeling that's wild that's wild yeah. actually isn't it yes <laughs> i mean i was so i i actually did feel like wow you know i've I've really achieved something. I've I'm able to to host a session. I'm able to welcome people in and like play tunes and have a good repertoire, a good a wide repertoire with of of stuff that I can play and um and did you have a not a philosophy but you know di- different people who run who lead a session, you know they 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 very much sort of create the atmosphere. For people coming in. Right? Oh, yeah. Particularly, you know, did you have an idea of like what you wanted that session to be? Oh, I wanted it to be like great crack for everybody. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the maximum fun possible every night. You know, that was like, that was my <laughs> basically my 20s. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, I, I mean, I was extended a warm welcome when I went to to the sessions first. And so that's what I would try to do. If there was new people coming along, you know, I'd give them the same welcome that was given to me. Invite them in and order a drink and say, play us a tune and what, you know, what's the story? And how are you in town for? And it was just 
It's so fun. And, and out of those sessions, so we, I ended up playing then every night on a Friday with Chris Drever and Anna Wendy Stevenson. And we, we had a trio called Fine Friday. Um, and that's probably when I sort of started going semi-professional at that point. But like we made two albums, we toured, we toured, we toured in Australia um, back in 2002 or something. And um, uh-huh. Canada and, you know, things started to become more, um, more like, yeah, possible that this music thing might might actually be something that I could I could make work for my for my my living. Um, yeah, that was but that came out of the sessions. Yeah. Was it was there any change in your relationship with the music when you start to move into it being your living? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think I just continued working on on the music. And although there was a lot, I mean, in from the point of view of of work, you know, suddenly I had to spend a lot of more time doing other things, you know, like you would need press photos, you would need to be communicating with different people. Now, we, we did everything ourselves, you know. We we were signed to Foot Stomping Records, I remember, um, great the great Foot Stomping Records, Simon, um, Simon, <laughs> Tumir, <laughs> Simon Tumir set up um, a beautiful label. And so that that was a great vote of confidence. Um, but then we still had a lot of, um, you know, a lot of work to do. And, and of course, going into the studio, not knowing anything about that. And, you know, I, I remember going into the studio and just crying because I thought it was so terrible. <laughs> So, really like oh, actually, yeah. like literally crying I sat in the bus we we got the bus and I remember coming back in the bus and just thinking ah oh, you know I just have so much work to do and I, I I just always felt like I needed to um improve work on my my musicianship and my and just everything and um and I wanted to so I, I was always kind of uh, motivated so that that kind of um kept me yeah, I kept and then, you know, I had to do all the business side and emailing and booking gigs and doing all the um, that kind of that thing. Basically, it didn't stop them. Once I started doing music full time, I'd say I didn't I didn't really ever stop either playing music or, or being out doing sessions or, or um, working at the other side of things. It was a, it was more than a full time job. It was full on for a long time and were your uh, mum and dad uh, pleased that you were moving to become a a professional musician I mean did they have feelings about it one way or another I think they felt like it was more practical than than the art (laughs) (laughs) that's right you pick (laughs) thank goodness she's given up the ceramics (laughs) I mean, it's it's a well worn. Nice steady job as a gigging musician. <laughs> I'm definitely not the first um, art student to go down the music path. Um, I, you know, I mean, I think when, once you're making an income, you know, that's that's good. You're you're self sufficient. Parents love yep. that. Um, yep. so I think that they were they were always supportive of me of me playing music, and um, they would come to the 
to concerts and, um, you know, they, they love, they also enjoyed meeting, you know, all the fellow characters and musicians and people that would be around. And whenever I would have a tour in Ireland, they always opened their doors to whoever I would come on tour with and um, host everybody and make us all dinner and just um, enjoy listening to the to the music. So, yeah, they were they were encouraging, I would say, of um, of it all, you know. Were there, were there ever times in those um, in, in those earlier periods where you were thinking the mechanics of making it work, the emails and the booking gigs and things was was sort of capsizing the and dragging the music and the art under or was that never a, never an issue? No, yeah, that was that that was an issue. Um, at a certain point, I remember thinking, you know, I, I don't have enough time to to do the art side that I want to do. I was probably like mid to late twenties by that point, and um, just feeling like it was taking all my efforts, you know, and and just doing things like writing funding applications and. Um, trying to make ends meet, you know, teaching, doing all, all everything that I could do to support the art side of it. And um, sometimes it was overwhelming, and um, and I did, I did feel um, squashed from the point of view of time. And sometimes, even now, like some, sometimes I, you know, before the great COVID era, era, I would, I would have felt occasionally like that that. You know, I'm, I do spend a fair amount of time doing doing that, but we all have to do that. So that's um, it's part of, part of the thing. Um, Aye. You know, it's but um, yeah. No, I was I, over. I'd say overall, I was I was um, happy doing all that and and going along going along the path. I remember being. I was always kind of nervous at gigs at the start. I I would always be, um, yeah, just kind of. No, think it, overthinking things probably <laughs> when I look back at it now. What, what do you What do you mean by overthinking? Like I I would just be over. Oh, I don't know. I would have I would have a lot of like. I um, uh, maybe I would overreach my capabilities, <laughs> and then I would have to like really, really try hard to be able to do the stuff that I wanted to do. You know, some of the music we were playing was was hard to play. At the, you know, when you grow up playing Irish music and um, you don't really play in the key, key of A or you don't use a G sharp. I didn't even have a G sharp on my flute till later. Um, uh-huh. And just learning all those, you know, I suppose it was just catching up with technique and, um, and not being used to performing, like just, you know, on stage, not feeling comfortable, much preferring like the session vibe than the stage uh-huh. vibe. Um, and at a certain point, I do I did kind of say, right, OK, I'm going to give this two years. And if I still feel like this at the end of it, I can always go back to teaching and then, you know, keep playing the sessions in the evening. I'm quite happy. I was quite happy doing that. Um, mm-hmm. But I did manage to get a grip on on the, the stage fright. Um, element it took me uh took me a, a good long time I um, wouldn't say I'm totally over it now but I, I I enjoy playing now like it's much I can connect and I can get into 
the mindset that I need much easier now, you know. And I, in fact, I love what's it. Stage fright, what's stage fright like? Right? What, what does that feel like for you? Or what did it feel like for you? It just felt like a kind of a hyper reality or something. It was just like, I remember, like I would remember everything after every gig. Like every, I would be able to remember every, uh, you know, every song, every tune, every, you know, it just kind of was, it was like a just over, over noticing. And uh, <laughs> I think like now it's, I'm just so much more relaxed that I don't even, you know, that, that I don't have the same, the same feelings. It's kind of, it's hard to, to, to really recall it, but um, I do I do remember feeling, yeah, just, I suppose it's just stress, isn't it? Like heart, your heart's right. going, your fingers are sweating, you know, it's <laughs> like awful. And you're trying to enjoy this music that you love with people looking at you. <laughs> when you put it that way, it does actually sound very straight with, with people looking at you. It's like, know. you know, um, it, it, there, there is a, it's just quite a curious thing when you when you, it, it's like one of those things that you sort of take for granted till you actually stop and think about it and, and how strange it is you know you're putting yourself up there almost um not, not objectifying yourself but you're putting yourself up there and saying i've got a thing that you need to hear yeah i mean there is a there is a sort of assertion going on you know yeah there there is and I'm, I'm glad i never thought about it like that or i probably would never <laughs> have gone up there <laughs> i mean i was always safely with my bandmates too you know at, 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 during that period it was just like you know it was safety in numbers and um you know that's that's great i mean i i did do i remember getting asked to do a concert for for a solo concert for celtic colors festival in in cape breton they were the first people that asked me to do that and you know i didn't sleep a wink the night before i just like my, my heart was palpitating in my bed the night before just thinking about it <laughs> but in the end i enjoyed it it wasn't as bad as i had thought and that was kind of the start of thinking yeah i could just you know get over this just get over yourself yeah <laughs> I take great inspiration from people, you know, that have that have come before me. And like Archie Fisher gave me great advice when, you know, just talking about and talking about singing and and just saying, oh, you know, it's so different than playing music. And it's a different relationship with the audience. It's a different experience for you as a performer. And um, it was really interesting talking to him about that because um, he was one of the first. He used to have a radio show. You probably remember yourself uh, traveling. For. Traveling folk, yeah. He, yeah. he interviewed, um, I was, it was the first person that I ever did an interview with uh, was Archie. And then I met him like, you know, years later in a festival and um, he had been to hear a set that I'd done and he was just chatting away about that and very encouraging. And, you know, the, the, those kind of moments that like, you know, where you're, you're being encouraged by people that are, are an inspiration to you you know, that really helps with with um, coming along. And 
you know, people like Len Graham have been great and Podrickine Hulacon uh-huh. and Liz Carroll and just encouragers. I, I love, yeah, love all their music. And, and that's the thing. Yeah. You know, once you start chatting to people, you realise everyone's human. We're all just trying to, you know, do do her thing. <laughs> um, could we could we have a, a tune and then I wanted to ask you about, about moving to the States. Are you okay for time? Oh, I'm grand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, I was just um, thinking I might play a, a new, a couple of new pieces I've been working on. Um, I just wrote these last week, so who knows what will happen, but um, I'll give it a go. It's, it's a, a little combination of uh, a sort of hornpipe type tune with the real uh, it's called Onwards and Upwards Thank you. 
Onwards and upwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> Onwards and upwards. I was sitting on my foot there and I nearly got a... I squashed my, my toe in the middle of that. <laughs> I didn't realise I was doing that till I started playing. Oh, but yeah, funny. onwards and upwards. Um, kind of a COVID-inspired uh, combo. Uh-huh. Have you, have you been um, managing to keep your spirits up okay over the last year? Oh, yeah, I, I think um, I, I've been writing a fair bit of, of music. That's been really keeping me going. And um, yeah, I've been doing doing OK, I think it's 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 sure surely a, a challenging time for all of us, especially touring artists like people that were used to traveling. I've I've that's been hard to to accept and get my head around. But I've been keeping myself busy doing the doing the writing. I'm working on a, a commission for our, our local theater here in in Ennis. And it's a beautiful theatre called Glore. And um, yeah. I think that that's been really that's helped to to kind of not to lose, not to lose heart that that, um, you know, there's you do feel like there's there's support and Glore have been great. And the Ennis Tradfest were in touch with me last year. And they're just, you know, we've got there's lots of musicians in this town who are all in the same boat. So, um, yeah, just trying to stay stay positive and work on things and um yeah just keep keep um keep making stuff i think is the way the way through for me anyway the the traveling thing's interesting my my wife travels a lot for work and so we realized um that this is the longest time that we've actually spent um the the, the longest what do I say? The biggest number of conspe- consecutive months we've spent together since we met, like yeah. ten years ago. Like we, you know, we've never actually spent this long together without a break. It was pretty, yeah, was a, quite a, quite a sobering moment one night. Um, oh yeah, I think it, <laughs> yeah. it. I think to me, it like it doubles the amount of time that you've you've had. So like you've been together with your wife for ten years, and then you've also had a year that felt like ten years. So now you've been together twenty years. <laughs> So it'll be soon, soon be our silver anniversary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what yeah. I think. Um, so, so I was looking at my notes. So, so my notes um, had said, um, Dundalk, you must avoid this place. Uh, Luke Plum sanded the floor of her flat. And then uh, and then there's a bit about America. So so am I, am I making a, a terrible jump forward from, from when you're gigging with... Um, with Fine Friday to 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 move into the states, how did that come about? Um, well, I think so. There was a good um, ten years probably before that happened, but kind of like. Um, and were you living in Edinburgh all that time? Oh yeah, I I was in Edinburgh. Well, I mean, primarily I was up lived up in Aviemore and in Inverness for for a year. I was studying um, Gaelic. I went up and signed up right. for like a full-time Gaelic course because I just loved um I love I love well I love Irish I always did and and then you know I I got into um Scottish Gaelic it's just so beautiful I love all those songs it, oh anyway so I was up there for a couple of years but mainly I was in Edinburgh and um that's where I was living when I, I mean I was back and forward at that point to the states a fair bit like touring 
I already had a visa, um, an annual visa that I, I was being renewed every year. And I had I'd been touring there with my band in Scotland and I had done some different kind of concert work with I'd also started doing like more cross genre stuff. I'd I'd been recording and touring with um Will Oldham, he's a, a singer from Kentucky and um just started getting into songwriting a bit more. Um so I wrote a song that people liked um called Books in My Library and I um, I wrote another couple of um songs with a friend of mine called Ziggy Campbell. He's a, a really great visual artist and also musician um, that was living in Edinburgh at the time. We became good friends. We started writing songs together. And as part of that, we were invited to a thing called Burn Song, which is uh, um, in Dumfries and Galloway. And it's like mm-hmm. a songwriter's retreat. Yeah. Um, so we went down to that um I was about 2009 or something. Um, and at that, I met a, an amazing, striking, dashing singer called AJ Roach, who <laughs> is from the Appalachian Mountains in southwest Virginia. And we fell in love and we were long distance, kind of in a long distance relationship for uh, a year or so. And then I moved to New York um we moved in together um and then we got married and that's <laughs> so that kind of mm-hmm. he and he's um yeah he's he's just a, a fantastic performer so we kind of like that that's basically why I moved to the states we we lived in New York for a year then we were back in Edinburgh and then he got a job working at the the recording academy for the Grammys in Los Angeles and then we we kind of up sticks and and moved out there for four years four or five years yeah so is there is there um is there a good um traditional Irish music scene in Venice Beach (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know what though it was probably is right well there's act there's there's there are of course there's a few musicians around but there wasn't really a scene there at all like right. it, that was probably the first place that I had lived where there was no music to walk to you know in New York it was just a so nice such a breeze like so many great musicians and um and just lo- lots of concerts and gigs and things around loads of sessions but then in LA it was like well there are sessions but you have to drive an hour um to get to them and then an hour home after them so it kind of it it was a bit of a surreal experience like I, I remember um a beautiful album came out around that time called Forgotten Gems um with Podrick McGovern and I think it's Peter Carberry. I I just love that album so much, and I I was listening to that a lot, and and it did mm-hmm. strike me one day. I was walking along the beach in Venice, and I was down, kind of walking towards Santa Monica, and I was listening to this music, and I thought, this just doesn't line up. There's a disconnect here between like, you know, the 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 unrelenting sunshine and the the beach and the the skateboarders and then like 
a flat set of pipes and, and you know, the accordion. And I just, I mean, it took me, I would say, two years at least to get used to to living there um, before I started to enjoy it. I, 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 I kind of resisted for for a year or two um, and then then I kind of found my my flow a bit more over there but it was definitely more of a challenge we didn't know a soul there we didn't know anybody and that that was that's hard it is isn't it you've you've done that yourself well uh, yeah I have kind of I mean I, I not like I didn't know a soul when we moved to Australia but but there are um because my wife's family's from here um but there's um I, I'm I know what you mean. It's 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 a hard yeah. It's a hard thing, you know. Especially if you're not in if you're not in like quote unquote conventional work like an office or somewhere where you kind of have this sort of ready made artificial peer group to hang about with a little bit and figure out some yeah. social stuff, right? But if you don't have that, even you know, I can see how it'd be very challenging, you know. Yeah, like you have to, um, you have to really make. It takes more energy to 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 connect with people, and and I would always be flying away and doing my gigs, and then flying back. So then you have that as well. You know, you're not like you're not yeah, around yeah. to you're meet not... for the coffee or Aye. whatever. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite a fragmented existence in a way, right? Yeah, and 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 I did reach out, and I did find the Irish community there and it, you know, there, of course there is one and, and it's a, it's just another, I mean, it was another great co- kind of confirmation that it was a great idea to play Irish music because we, we, we found um, our community there and we had like, you know, sessions in our little apartment there on the beach. And I met a friend of mine wrote to me, she said, Oh, you're in, you're living in LA. My brother lives there. And she was someone who was recorded as a, a hidden track on my first solo album. Her name's Jane Regler. She's she's a, a contemporary classical flutist who does kind of extended technique and just she's just she's a powerhouse. She's amazing. And we had recorded this track together, kind of a wacky little track on the new shoes. And she said, My brother lives out there, you know, he plays the pipes and he plays your music, she said, you know. So I was like, Oh right, so <laughs> My music. I said, send them the yeah. I know. I know what, but um, I I I um, got in touch with him, and that's Eric Rigler, the piper. He does all the like movie soundtracks. You know, like if you hear pipes on anything, it's probably Eric Rigler. Probably him. It's probably him. Um, and so we we started hanging out, playing tunes, um, loved loved playing together, and we we ended up making a recording, doing a like a PBS show uh celtic christmas show and it was just lovely i mean and then i started feeling like okay i'm i'm settling in here getting different kinds of work you know more recording work and more studio stuff um and i'm doing more work in the states because then it was easier you know la is so far away from europe i i started playing more in the states and playing in the alt with john john doyle and eamon o'leary my two um great friends and comrades in arms um we made our album in north carolina or and um yeah so i started doing more work out there 
um yeah it was it was all it was all kind of it was all good i have to say yeah in the end yeah and and what was it that drew you back to ireland then well we my son was born out in santa monica so we had we had a little baby which wasn't you know one little baby kind of you can still live your life and, and things go along as pretty much like they were. But then we found out we were expecting um, another another one. <laughs> and um, and we realised, OK, maybe this... We started thinking maybe we might have to move, not necessarily away from from California, but, but away from the Venice Beach kind of pads that we we had staked out when we were single. Well, we're not single when we were, you know, just a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just around about that time, AJ got an offer of a job and it, it was a um, pretty, like, attractive job. But then he, he, he asked them, well, where is this? Where is it? Because they had just kind of got in touch with him out of the blue and they said, oh, it's in Limerick. And so we thought, well, this could be fate, you know, maybe we'll we'll just give this a shot. So we we, we thought about moving to Limerick and then I, I was looking at the map and I saw Ennis was close by and I had good memories of, of being in Ennis before and passing through and having tunes and having the crack. So we, we just up sticks and, and um, came to Ennis. That was about mm-hmm. just a year or two before the, the pandemic hit. And how's it been? Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's um Is it what you expected? I mean, what you remembered? Uh yeah, I didn't really I mean, have obviously that. your life is different. But. Yeah, my life's different. Didn't have a lot of expectations really. Just kind of wanted to have um a nice space for the kids and um just be able to My real goal was just to be able to walk walk in like I had done in in Edinburgh and in New York, and and walk into town, play a few tunes, and be able to enjoy that and and come home again. So that that was fantastic. Um, just yeah, lovely lovely sessions, great people, and um, yeah, it was it was really. I think it's the right choice for now. Anyway, it's and then of course with all this pandemic, it just seemed like I was so grateful that we weren't still. Out in in California and yeah yeah you know it's um it's been it's been the right choice we 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 love it's just a simple lifestyle and that's that's what I like just have the most important thing to me is the music and there's so much of it here that you know I can't wait for this thing to be done with so that we can get back to enjoying the tunes and hearing people singing and just being all together again it's um yeah just pure dying for it <laughs> when when you think about um the the young girl that you were playing classical piano and fiddling about a bit on the whistle but and then, and you think about the journey that you've been on i i, I want to say like how do you feel about it but what is it what does it conjure up for you? I mean, I guess what I'm wondering about, sorry, I'll start that again. That's a bit <laughs> of an arse of a question, sorry. I, I was trying to ask you something about just, like it was really interesting there that you said the music is the thing 
right? Like, what does it mean to you? Like, what has it given you that, I mean, can you imagine your life without it? Oh, I don't, I just can't imagine it without it. It's, I feel like it's caught me. It's saved me so many times, like in every way, like in, you know, mentally with stuff that, you know, if, if you're going through some like emotional hardship in your life, there's always the music is always there. And and there's always a way to to see to see yourself through with that. You know, you you can forget your worries. You can go out and sit down with like minded souls and and play play this music and and go along go along a well trodden path that it's just that's fantastic and then at the same time you can you know you can express yourself through it and just the community you know like being able to like move to a city and and seek out the the community there and and you can almost be sure that there'll be lovely people that are going to you know, you're going to to kind of vibe with and um, you're going to appreciate similar things. You know, if somebody's going to sit down with me and say, you know, what do you what did you hear this this beautiful song that like Martin Carthy was playing or, you know, an arrangement or, you know, I met Sai Khan, the great songwriter at a, a music conference and we became friends just for the love of songwriting and talking about you and McCall and his songs I mean, just powerful. I love those kind of universal, you know, folk songs that are that can speak to to anybody from any any culture, any background. You don't have to be Irish to appreciate or Scottish to, mm-hmm. you know, these things are they're so much bigger than we are. And they speak to so much to they just speak to the human experience. So th- those kind of things have changed my life in a way that I can I actually can't imagine what it would be like. There's something, you know, you mentioned there about the songs. You know, Nick Jones, the English singer from the 70s, he had an album called Penguin Eggs. That Yeah, the, he, he, I know he's a legend. So he has a, a version of a song called Farewell to the Gold, which is, a, it's, it's basically about a fella who goes to New Zealand to look for gold and never finds it, right? Mm-hmm. The chorus is really just this summary of the sadness of disappointment in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have a kind of, on, on, on the one hand, you have the narrative of this guy and his and his friend, but it encompasses so much about the nature of life. I don't mm-hmm. know, he starts out full of optimism, as people often do in folk songs not knowing what's around the corner right and it, i don't yeah. know there's just something about that song that just every time i listen to it i just think the whole trajectory of a life is in this song you know yeah it just blows my mind oh it's it, that's the beauty of of um of the song world when it just it it connects with people in such a different a different way and um and it's powerful you know just to, powerful powerful songs that can express yeah how you're feeling at a, speci- at a certain time and what um the other thing that you mentioned there when you talk about tunes um and you were talking there about tunes and when you have you know when you're going through a difficult period in music and how it sort of can help 
steer you through. I mean, I think about that as being like the sea, right? When I go to the sea, go to the ocean, which is quite near where we live here, um, it it's there whether I go or not, right? Like yeah. the tunes are there whether you play them or not. They're available for you. They're sort of floating. You know what I mean? It's just like, uh, fuck, yeah. what am I trying to say? I know what you mean. Like the, you know, the wheels I wheels keep rolling whether I'm there or not, right? But when I, but when I turn up, yeah, the fact that they're rolling gives me what I need. Yeah. Oh yeah, and just like, you know, it's a great analogy. The sea. You know, I've always lived near the sea, and um, I'm I'm actually the commission I'm writing at the moment is called Shorelines and it's just that you know when you think about the vast the vast sky like the 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 expanse of like your your creative imagination could it could be represented in in that 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 shoreline and the sea with all its you know churning and tunes and movement and permanence and and ever changing like the it's a it's a great analogy for the music that like you know the the groundedness of of traditional music where it meets the kind of the the never ending um creative mind is is why it's so powerful i think and i love that i love that um that analogy you made there about yeah just going going to the sea for inspiration and for relief and for for knowledge that things are continuing you know life goes on and and in fact um i was gonna um sing you this song it's called heis koshna tra it means in the irish language it means down by by the sea down by the strand um and um that's that's kind of the what i think about when when i sing this song is is to do with with what you just mentioned um it t- evokes um somebody walking along by the strand and they are passing by an old graveyard and they think about the people that have come before them and the people that will come after them and enjoy the beautiful vista and the lovely location and enjoy being beside the sea and um i i thought maybe i i picked this out because um I sang this in Australia the last time I was there um, at the National Festival. I love that, love that festival. And I'm sure you've been there yourself, um, Donna. I, I haven't actually, I have not been here um, in Canberra, the one in Canberra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I, the first year I, was, uh, I haven't been here, I've been here since 2017. So I actually haven't. Oh, yeah, that's still. It's still new. Well, you, 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 that'll be on your list. I know. Um, that's it where is. I met uh, Joe Fitz out there, and we just played and played for like for hours. And um, Joe Fitzgerald. Yeah. Oh, the just the sweetest man. The just a powerhouse on the accordion. And um, yeah, just could he just it really fired up on all cylinders and we were playing away for hours. We weren't, he was saying, he, I remember him saying to me, how do you know all these tunes? We never repeat, we never repeated a tune. And I was just turning around to him going, I don't know. I don't know how I know them. <laughs> Let's keep playing. Keep playing. 
<laughs> but um, but at the national festival there, I was there two years ago, or just recently with uh, with Jerry O'Connor, the wonderful fiddle player from Dundalk, and um, I sang his Kushna Tra. But the, the the funny the reason I sang it was this is just so like random and amazing but the, we were having something to eat in the, like the food court of the festival and there's like thousands of people all thronging around and somebody came up to us she'd overheard our, our Irish accents and she said oh are you from Ireland and we said oh yeah you know over for the festival and oh great and and she just out of nowhere she just said um do you do you sing songs and and I said yeah and she says do you know the song he is cushing a draw and I said, I couldn't believe it. I said to her, yeah, you know, I actually, I thought it was a traditional song up to that point. And um, and she said, my father wrote that song. Um, I'm Celia O'Donnell and, and my dad wrote that song. And I just looked at her and I was like, what? Like, <laughs> like, wow. like what? And she, she was only at the festival for one day. It was like so random and we we just happened to be in that spot so she and i it was just the strange she didn't know we were playing at the festival she didn't know we were performers you know we were just people having our dinner and um anyway we got chatting and she ended up sending me her notebook from when she was in primary school and her dad had like corrected her and he was her teacher and he had you know written out the the words of the song um and it's a be- it's a it's a it's just a love a very well constructed song. You know, it starts with "Hias Kushnatra" and it ends with the same phrase, "Hias Kushnatra," which was like a technique that that poets in way way back when in Ireland would use. Like it was a recognised kind of stylistic choice. Um, so I just thought it's this this is a this is beautiful. It was a, it was amazing meeting her out there and um, in all those the thousands of people that that she so anyway that night we hadn't played that before but um jerry was a sport he he hadn't played it and i we sang it at the festival and um and she really enjoyed it so i thought um What's maybe we'll finish name? up with this but um per, her father's name oh god you know i can't remember i'll have to i'll have oh, to look okay. it up and okay. i just remember her um telling me well what was her i could look it up but i can't remember now off the top of my head Okay. Um, but um, will I just um, will will we finish up with this song yeah. or is yeah. that is that that's, um... that's lovely. Th- thank you so much, <laughs> Nila. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I I feel like I've been I've been rambling, but it's been a it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me anyway. Um, I, I was really delighted to have a have a chance to spend some time with you. So thank you so much. Uh, it's it's just a, a pleasure for me too, and um, yeah, let's let's um, let's wrap things up with uh, he is Kushnatra, and if uh, if it goes well, maybe I'll I might play a little thing at the end um, on a flute that was made by the late great uh, Mike Grinter, who I met on my first trip to Australia, um, great flute maker, and um, yeah, we'll see see how this goes. So here's. He is Kushnitron. Slan. He is Kushnitron, and if 
ज्ञात नहीं Thank <laughs> you. 
probably tell by the general vibe of that conversation uh, it was late at night here when I was chatting to Nilla um, probably one in the morning or half one by the time we get finished and I was as they say in a dwam I was in a bit of a dreamlike state by then um, it's just such a lovely experience to be able to share close up the 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 experience of someone singing like that and playing like that and talking. I mean, sharing these experiences of conversation with musicians in these episodes is just such an amazing, beautiful uh, privilege, actually, and a, a treasure. So thank you, Nula. Um, thank you all for listening. And thank you for supporting the podcast. And... With that, I'll leave you with the Roaring Barmaid, and I'll see you soon. The Blarney Pilgrims podcast is supported by the City of Greater Geelong through its COVID-19 Arts, Culture and Heritage Recovery Grants Programme.